Welcome to the Field Rose Podcast. Well, I, st- I started farming when I was a little baby, so... I left my wallet in the ocean That 40 bucks is lost I barely made it back to the shore Hello, hello, and welcome to the Field Rose Podcast. Appreciate you so much for uh, downloading this, or maybe you're just listening to it, but I appreciate it nonetheless. Uh, If you can, give us a review or rate us if you're listening it through Apple Podcast or Spotify, Stitcher, any of those places. uh, That would help out a lot. And of course, check out fieldrose.com. That's got all the podcast links. It's got the YouTube videos. And it's got a great blog, so it's a it's a three in one. Can't beat it. Fieldrose.com. Uh, let's see. This week's episode is brought to you by Cloverleaf Cotton Gin. So if you grow cotton and you're looking for a great gin to uh, handle your cotton, by all means, give Cloverleaf Cotton Gin a try. They've got two locations: one in Donaldsville, Georgia, and the other in Greenwood, Florida. So um, yeah, look them up. Give them a call at two two nine five two four eighty six thirty. That's two two nine five two four. 8630. And speaking of Cloverleaf Cotton Gin, this week on the show, I'm chatting with George Gray, and he works for Cloverleaf. I think he said for 10 years, I believe. Yeah, 10 years as the field rep. So uh, I used George quite a bit throughout the harvest season, hit him up. Hey, man, George, something's done happen bad to the module boodle. We've ripped a hose out, or one of the hydraulic motors have went out. And uh, yeah, he always comes to the rescue. So super good chat with George, getting to know him. And uh, yeah, let's get to it, folks. Here's my conversation with George Gray. Uh, have you had a pretty good day today? Had a good day. Hadn't been bad at all. Yeah. Had a few showers. Not bad at all. Oh, yeah. What's uh, going on in Donaldsonville? Not a whole lot. We just, as far as the gin goes, we're just doing repair work. Um, actually got a lot of people out on vacations, trying to get all the vacations in before the harvest time comes in. That's right. Um, we got cotton going out. We're trying to clean out a seed barn. We got seed being shipped all over the country. Um, Florida, Arkansas, pretty much everywhere for, uh, dairy feed. Okay. Um, doing that, shipping bales, doing repair work. Good deal. And George, how long have you been working for Cloverleaf? This will be my 10th season. 10th season. All right. Well, before we dig too deep into Cloverleaf and all things cotton, why don't we back up a little bit and I'll start from the beginning. Where did you grow up? I was born in Elkmont, Alabama. It's a little small town. Uh, we're five miles from Interstate I-65, which splits the state from east to west. I was five miles west of there. I was five miles south of the Tennessee line. So very also, extreme North Alabama. Yeah, way up there. Um, Elkmont is uh, about 475 people. Uh, I was a fourth-generation gin owner there and um, farmer. Okay. We were more, my family was more into gins and farming. Uh, back in the sharecrop days, they had people that worked the land and they predominantly concentrated on cotton merchandising and running the cotton gins. Um, I started farming in 1978. Uh, I was 15 and uh, I had two acres and uh, of cotton and it was in two fields. Oh, wow. Okay. So I started off kind of small. Two acres. Two acres, two fields. Yeah. Uh, and ended up making two bales on the two acres. Yeah. Now, for 1978, that was pretty good for dry land, obviously dry land cotton yeah, for absolutely. North Alabama. Uh, today's world, that won't work. Yeah. Uh, but back it. then, um, 
you know, it has it 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 was it was a good crop back then for the day. Do you remember what variety that was you planted those many moons back? I don't remember exactly that year. Um, back then, it was I remember before DPL was really a big name. Yeah. Um, I would guess that was probably I remember planting uh, a McNair uh, variety, which is not even around anymore. Yeah. Um, was planted Stoneville okay. for a while. Then we started planting the, um, you know, the DPL varieties. I got you. Um, but I was, um, you know, started in 78. Um, then in 79, I ventured out and rented some more land. Um, ended up buying a tractor. My first tractor was a John Deere 4440 um, open station tractor. It was uh, about $26,000 new. And um, I kept that tractor and went on and, and um, kept it for a number of years, traded it off in 92 uh, for a cab tractor and a 4560. It was 54000 so they'd kind of gone up a little bit. Yeah. Um, I ended up buying that same 4440 tractor back in 2020. Really? Uh, I'm the first and the third owner of that tractor. That's too the neat. guy that bought it when I traded into John Deere dealership, uh, his son actually um, still had it, and I'd kept up with it over the years, and yeah, and uh, purchased that a few months ago. Nice. So glad to have that back. Oh yeah. Uh, you know the crops. I mean, I used to, you know, I started off with two acres. Uh, I got up to where I was working about twelve hundred acres of cotton. Um, there was, um, um, you know, scattered. Uh, I was right on Tennessee line, so some of my farms were in Alabama, some were in Tennessee. Yeah. Uh, probably, and I was scattered um, from my house west. I went about 23 miles. Um, east, I went about 12 miles, and I five miles north, so seven miles south. So I, you know, I was pretty. I spent a lot of time on the road. Yeah, stressed out a little bit. Yeah. Um, but there was a lot of farmers, and land was hard to come by. Mm-hmm. Uh, the longer I farmed, the better land I was able to get. I worked some land over the years that should have been in pasture or trees, you know. Yeah. There really wasn't a lot of tree land up there other than hills. You know, down here, if land's no good, they plant it in pine trees. There really wasn't any pine trees in okay. North Alabama. We were a hardwood area. What about irrigation? Was there much irrigation up Very there? Very little irrigation. Uh, there was a few farms that was right on the river mm-hmm. that was able to pull out of the river, and it was... Uh, it was not uh, mandated or restricted by the Corps of Engineers. It was um, subsidiary to the um, Tennessee River, so okay. it was a little less restriction, so they were able to get water. Yeah. They have since added irrigation in a lot of farms that, that um, you know, in the area right up there. One of the big things, I guess, that, that I've seen, um, you know, talking about the old days, and a lot of things I really have to think back because we've gotten so used to the way things are now. Uh, back in the day, um, cottonseed, for instance, we used to, we being my daddy and uncle, mm-hmm. would plant about 100 acres of registered seed every year, cottonseed. And we would pick it under ideal conditions, gin it, store it, and they had their own delinting plant. This was before acid delinted. They were machine-run seed. Uh, it looked like a mini cotton gin, his, this facility they had, mm-hmm. and um, they would treat the seed and get them tested for germ and um, make sure there'd be good seed to plant. We would Best I remember, we'd end up about $385 a ton in those planting seed back then. 
And one of the big things that really throws people a curve today, we would plant about 35 pounds of seed to the acre. Oh, wow. Um, there was a neighbor of ours that always planted 50. And, you know, not that everybody, you know. Uh, of course, then they came out with years later, they came out with flame delinted seed. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I would guess the time would probably maybe in the mid-80s they came out with acid delinted seed. Obviously, even the flame delinted, that did away with the, the family-owned seed delinter. Yeah. So expl- what is the deal with the acid delinted seed? What, what, what does that even mean? Well, back then, again, we did machine, and it left a little bit of fuzz on the seed. Okay. Very little. Now, people would call them fuzzy seed. Yeah. Well, they're, you can see a little bit of lint, but not a tremendous amount. Okay. Uh, then they came out with flame, and then they came out. It is, and I don't really know. I've never seen the process, but it is kind of an acid wash that and gets all the, the takes all off. the the fur the, the the fuzz off the seed. I got you. Um, and now those numbers, as we you know, I'm talking about thirty five pounds of the acre, and now I guess we're probably somewhere in the six to seven eight pounds of the acre or something. Yeah. Yeah. I- I just remember more about bags. Like we want a bag to go about six and a half acres or maybe like Well, seven. see that, you know, back then it was pounds to the acre. Mm-hmm. And now y'all, you know, we were buying seed by the ton and now y'all are buying seed by seed count. That's right. Exactly. Which is, has really changed. Yeah. So you really don't want to do the math on what seed are actually costing you because it's, it's a long way from $385 a ton. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It's like 230,000 seeds per bag, I believe it is, or 250. So, uh-huh. Yep. And, and uh, you know, just the cost of everything. Of course, the tractor was 100. That was the biggest tractor of the time, 140-horsepower tractor in 1979 was the biggest tractor in Elkmont. Okay. Um, there was, you know, there was a lot of, there was several 100-horsepower tractors, but most of them were still the 4020s or the, the International Farmalls, Alice's, whatever. There was some, you know, then it got to be more and more and then bigger and bigger tractors. Right. But, um the price of fertilizer, best I remember during those days, was somewhere in the upper 30s, low $40 an acre. Yep. And that was based on soil test, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not just randomly. But, uh, before that, you know, most people put 500 pounds of triple 13 fertilizer. That's just what you put on cotton. Yeah. You know, no soil Across test, no nothing. Oh, yeah. It didn't. No variable rate. My daddy and uncle thought I'd lost my mind when I started talking about using 52020 or, you know, end up with a 904040 or 904060 or whatever the soil test. I wasn't going to make any cotton because I wasn't using 500 pounds of triple 13. Yeah. And uh, I, the, all the years I farmed, I never had a farm that required triple 13. Just, you know, that's just not what cotton needed. But yeah. that's the way they always did Oh, yeah, it, you know? yeah. That's what they thought. That was a, so. the way they did it. Oh, yeah. Now, the soil up by Tennessee, was it a, a heavy soil? Was it sandy? What, what was that like? Most of our, we didn't have any sandy soil. Most of our land, especially, um, well, east of the, west of the uh, I-65 mm-hmm. is typically a red clay in our end of the county. In the south part of the county, it's pretty much all a red clay. Yeah. Um, east of the interstate, it would be a gray type soil. Um, the, um, it would hold up better under dry conditions than your, than your red lamb would, of Mm -hmm. course. But when it got wet, it was really wet. Uh, there would, I remember as a teenager, there was years when you wouldn't even get to pick some of that land, that gray land. And one year we were planting on our red soil and the guy was picking the gray dirt out east of the interstate all hmm. in this was in you know would have been in March. we started planting about March, sometime in march yeah. back then 
So if you got a heavy rain, it was going to be a while for you to get back. It'd be a while. Yeah, yeah, you didn't just. Yeah, you know, your red dirt, of course, just like you know, you dirt here. I mm-hmm. mean, it'll dry out pretty quick. But yep. that gray type soil, it doesn't, and it's no bottom to it. It's no hard pan. It never is a hard pan to that that dirt. Yeah, and speaking of, so I mean, around here, of course, it's just one big sand bed, or the majority that yeah. we farm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, it's good because if you get a massive rain, you can be back in the field in two days. But then again, uh, Dad and I were just talking, like, how much fertilizer do we sling out that we lose? Because it's just, you know, get rain on it, it leaches. You know, that's, that's right. So, double-edged yeah, sword, two day, two days away from a drought at any time. You're right. Yeah, exactly. You're yep, yep, that's right. All right, so you're uh, Elkmont, Alabama. How did you make your way all the way to Donaldsville, Georgia? All right, I um, I went um, I went to North Carolina for a couple of years, and, and they built a new gen. I managed it. Uh, it was the furthest gen east in the United States, for whatever that's worth. Okay. Uh, out in the middle of Put nowhere. that on a t-shirt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, very remote area, big agricultural land. Uh, stayed there for a couple of years, and then I was uh, got a call from a fellow in Blakely that wanted me to come back and run the gen, and Blakely had heard about me through the industry okay. somehow. And uh, came to Blakely, and I've been there, moved there in 01, stayed there uh, through 2010 at the gen mm-hmm. through 2009 i had a brief stint of um another business venture in 10 and in 11 i came to cloverleaf okay got you well i'm jumping ahead i forgot i was going to mention you said when you were farming you documented a whole year right like on a vhs camcorder i did and you were doing mainly no-till work so t- t- tell me about that all right that was uh 1995 uh, a friend of mine and I got together and rented a farm in Tennessee that um, we both were looking for a little more land. And he came by in sometime in March and said, but are you still looking for some more land? I said, sure. And uh, he said, um, I got some. I said, good. I said, I'd like to, you know, it'd be good. I'd like to get a little more. He says, 1,500 acres. And I said, whoa, wait a minute now. It's the wrong time of year to be renting 1,500 acres of land. And um, so we ended up renting this farm um in the first part of April, we started planting the first part of May, like May the 5th or whatever. And um, it was, it had been in corn, beans, wheat for probably 30 years. It hadn't, uh, it had been many decades since it had been cotton even anywhere on the farm. Okay. So um, we started looking at different options we had. We didn't want, it was too late to bottom plow. We bottom plowed or turned land, as y'all say down here, I got to say bottom plow. Up there we turned land. Breaking land? Breaking land, Yeah. Um, but it was too late for that. We knew we'd lose too much moisture. So we started looking at, oh, we'd never experimented either one of us with, uh, no till, mm-hmm. but we looked into that, did a crash course on it and th- thought that was something we needed to do. Bought the attachments for the planter, um, eight row I did. Um, and I documented it just to see, you know, didn't know how we thought this was going to be a one-time thing on this particular farm. Yeah. Uh, but we didn't know, but you know, we, it's hard to go back and remember everything you actually did in a crop. You know, you think you remember, you remember today, but you're going to remember it a year from now. So I got the old VHS. It looked like I worked for the local TV station. It's, you know, it's two feet long Oh yeah, and weighed 40 pounds. And I, I would document as my guys were planting as we were, we, I documented it from the, the burn down to the, uh, we had to take a disc in to hit some ruts and those kind of places where the the combines had messed it up the year before. Mm-hmm. And I documented everything we did, how we planted, what we were doing, what rates we were doing, um, what chemicals we were using, the whole thing throughout the entire crop. Mm-hmm. And uh, then all the way through harvest. 
So it was very, um, and it was done on, was that VHS? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, Who has one of those anymore, right? No, yeah, that, it's hard to get those, find anywhere to play those. Yeah. So we went from, I, I did get somebody to take that and put it on DVD. Okay. And uh, somehow that has, uh, I'm sure nobody stole it, but it is, has been misplaced. You've got to find it. i got to find it. That, that, it's some pretty neat things. It's definitely one of those that um, is not a professionally done film yeah. it'll, it'll, it'll uh, you know the whole thing shaking and you kind of give know. you a head spin and oh yeah <laughs> but uh it's um it, it is a lot of worthwhile information on there and of course today's world you know it steals just like you know it's been it was in 95 so it's been that many years yeah. ago uh times have changed and you probably wouldn't do it. even the chemicals that we used back then mm-hmm. a lot of them are still i still recognize some of the names but not a lot of them yeah um the day that uh you know the roundup ready thing when that came out um that that was a great day in in the cotton world because you know we used to spray we spray to kill cockleburs, mm-hmm. or we would spray to kill Johnson grass and anything else you had to go get and that was with crews, uh, pulling or chopping or however you want to do it. Now in chopping we weren't chopping to thin the crop like they did back you know decades before that, but just mm-hmm. to get the weeds out of the out of the field. So, to, you know, to see some of these farms after I had quit farming, to go back and see these fields and to look from side to side and not see a single weed out there before we came up with this Roundup-resistant weeds that we have, yeah, it was really amazing to see oh, I bet. that that particular farm, I'd never seen some of them that clean. Yeah. So that was that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, just like, uh, I mean, I, I never remember a time not being able to spell or, or uh, spray Roundup on cotton. But I can remember uh, before, obviously, Dicamba and all that came out, um, I think it was Liberty, or no, it was a product called Ignite when it first came out that you mm-hmm. could spray on your cotton and kill your pigweeds. Because, you know, Roundup would kill pigweeds until the different variety of pigweed came out, and then one day you sprayed, and it's like, oh, something's not right. Anyway, long story short, we messed it up or did, did put the wrong rate, sprayed like 10 acres of cotton, and just about smoked that 10 acres of cotton. Mm-hmm. It came back, but, you're, you know, it's funny. New chemicals come out. There's always that learning curve. Mm-hmm. We before Roundup Ready, there was. I was just trying to think of the name. I can't think of the name of the chemical, but it was a Stoneville variety of seed. It was before Liberty Link. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't think of that. But there was a we we and of course, you, like any other chemical, they recommend spraying it at half inch or one inch tall or two leaves or whatever that is. Yeah. Well, needless to say, the crops, you know, you, you, I planted a river bottom and we had a product that was a, a burr cucumber. It looked, it ran just like kudzu hmm. and it only grew in the river bottom land. I don't, I've never seen it on the upland farms. Yeah. And it would literally take over acres of your cotton. And, uh, but we got some of that stuff and uh, tried that bottom and it was a very late variety. We had to have early season varieties in North Alabama because of our window of opportunity for, to get the crop out. Mm -hmm. But I had to clean, that's the first time I'd ever seen that river bottom clean. It didn't make anything Mm -hmm. because it was too long a season variety of cotton, but they were onto something there. So I guess I was their guinea pig for that like 50 acre field or whatever, but it was really something to see that field. Yeah. Pretty clean, you know. Got you. Almost. And we were spraying stuff that was, uh, some of it even got away. I've got pictures of it that's probably close to knee high, and it was supposed to have been one inch, and it still smoked it. So it was a heck of a strong product. I've just forgotten now what the name of that chemical was. Yeah. All right. Um, well, George, I usually wait to the, the end to do this, but I'm going to do it now. 
Uh, are you familiar with a would you rather question? Would you rather do this or that? I'm not doing any of it. So it's just, it's two scenarios. You have to pick them, but neither scenario is a good scenario to choose from. So I've got a really good would you rather. Okay. So would you rather? You have to, they're going to make you a jacket and it's inside the jacket is going to be lined with just raw cotton, just cotton straight off the module. You know, they're going to, the, the sleeves, the back, the chest, everything. And you have to wear that jacket all summer. Every day you've got to wear this jacket, zip it up, rough cotton on you. Okay. That or, uh, every year Cloverleaf puts on a wonderful customer appreciation lunch. You know, it's the seafood. It's delicious. I love it. Best thing about selling to Cloverleaf. But um, right after they say the prayer, you have to just jump up and like, all right, let's eat and make a beeline to the front of the line. Fix your plate just as big as you can make it where the seafood is just about to fall off the plate and sit down, like pushing people out of the way, sit down and just start mowing the, the food down. So what would you rather do? I really had not, I'd rather not have to wear that coat all summer, but I would not be a popular person in front of a hundred and some people. Yeah, so I would have, I believe I'd have to try the coat. You do that, but that's going to be a long summer. It's going to be a long, hot summer. It hot. is. But at least I would have a job if I didn't die from heat exhaustion. <laughs> yep. Okay. So you're going to, you're going to pick the coat. I'm going to have to pick the coat. The coat. I'd have to okay. Do that. All yeah. right. Well, that's the Don't need a hundred and something people to get me uh, to right. be that angry. At oh, me. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That popped in my head today. I was like, oh, that's a good one. I'm going to ask George that. I usually wait to the end. I was like, hey, let's go ahead and jump it out there now. Uh huh. All right. Well, let's back on track. So you're uh, in Donaldsonville. When you first got your job with Cloverleaf, what was your, uh, where's your title? What were you doing? I was I was field rep. I was hired as field rep, um, and it was I I really wasn't that for me. Even though I'd been in in uh, Blakely, which is only twenty five miles away, there's not a lot of crossover customers. You know, your people are your cotton people are pretty dedicated to where they're ginning. Mm-hmm. They didn't mess with my customers. I didn't mess with theirs. So I didn't know a lot of people down here. And my first several weeks was getting in the truck with Scott and riding and meeting. And we would go way over there to say Sneeds. And then I think, okay, I'd get to figure out how we got there. And then we'd go all the way to Chipley. And I think, oh, wait a minute, this is a lot. And then we'd go back to maybe Mariana and see somebody. Then we'd go to Donaldsonville. And I, we did that for days. And my head was spinning. There is no way okay. in the world I'm ever going to figure out where there's a hundred and something people. Because yeah. there was no rationale to what we were doing. For whatever reason, we were visiting customers. It was just, there was no systematic way of going and visiting these people in the order we had to see them. So yeah, now, that was around. pretty, that was kind of mind boggling trying to figure out how I was going to see everybody, to figure out where everybody was once I was turned loose. And I was turned loose. So, how I did that, I just started looking at addresses, and I looked, got me a map, and I started my father's east or west or whatever, and mm-hmm. I just started seeing people and made me out a list until I finally – I think I've got everybody figured out where they are Dude. now, surely after 10 years. So do you have like a route that you run every year, or does it just kind of just bounce just, around or whatever? Typically after our um, producer meeting that you talk about, mm-hmm. I usually – whoever's not there – that's usually who I go see first. Okay. And then from there, I'll usually start my east to west movement of, of who was there and, and mm-hmm. try to get out and see. Of course, this year with the pandemic, it has been very different, not being able to get out and visit folks. And so uh, a lot of them got a kick out of it when I called and told them, I said, this is my own farm visit. You're yep. on your farm, and I'm sitting under a shade tree in Donaldsonville talking to you on my phone. 
And uh, but uh, you know, it did the same thing that at least the people knew that we were thinking about them. We were there for them. Did anybody have any questions? Some did. I got the information for them. Uh, typically, you know, try to get out and see folks several times a year. Yeah. And um, you know, in in the not before the fall, in the other nine months of the year, mm-hmm. and then of course in the fall, I'm out there. You know, whenever needed and on farms with people taking them parts from module builders, just whatever yeah. directing trucks, whatever the job may be. Mm-hmm. So would you say your, your your main thing you bring is parts from module builders during the season? Yeah, do, well, the, when the but one of the first things I do in the morning, a typical day in the fall, is uh, make sure the trucks we got to get the we got to get all the gin trash. I direct the semi drivers on uh, the guys where they you know the course. Once you get started, it's kind of a systematic thing you do. So many trucks need to go down to Florida, and we have to haul all the cotton from Florida baled back to Georgia because we don't have warehouses in mm-hmm. Florida, but due to water shortage not enough water supply there to run the sprinkler system for the warehouses and uh, so we will we will uh, you know make sure the trucks are directed go down there to get the halt we have to get the trash or the trash bin to buy products of the cotton the, the sticks and stems and burrs and faulty seed and that kind of stuff yeah we take that back to donselville we take that to our pellet mill which makes cow feed mm-hmm. um so, you know, we're not wasting anything there. Which is something fairly new, right? The pellet mill, that's something that... Yeah, just... that's... Uh, I'm, I'm going to say we're probably... This is probably about six years yeah. of that. Because before the gin trash was just trash, right? Nothing it was, was ever a, done it, with it? You blew it out. It, that's always been a problem in the gin world of what you do with it. You usually blow it out behind the gin. It ends up being on the wettest, lowest land you got. And then what you're going to do with it. And it's going to most likely catch on fire. And then, in, uh, if especially if you're anywhere close to houses, the smoke becomes awful. You become a bad neighbor. And we started looking at things. I started fooling with that back in the early 2000s of what we can do with that to mm-hmm. make that uh, an income producer instead of a dead expense. Yeah. So I started getting it and bailing it and uh, selling it. I sold it to a guy uh, in the Blakely area for cow feed. Mm-hmm. And uh, that worked out good. We went from a negative number of expenses to hauling it to a positive number. Uh, it was just a messy product to use. And then we started, I started taking it and um, getting the lint out of it. There's a little, it's not much, but it's a little lint. But you take times a lot of bales, a little bit of, you know, ends up being enough yep. to fool with. So we started uh, started bailing the lint that came out of the trash, and then the trash. Then I started. I was going since I was bailing it. I said, I want to see. Can I bail it? And everybody, different people I talked to, said, Yeah, you can. If you could bail it before, you can bail it now. I said, I want to. I want to bail it. Well, mm-hmm. I bailed it. It looked perfect. Took the pressure off the press. The bale fell all to pieces. Here we were in March, April, May, whenever that was. I knew that wasn't going to work, so I ended up contacting the peanut industry and these totes that the um, not the seed peanuts, but the ones that they use for edible peanuts. Mm-hmm. The big totes like y'all use, you know. The big like ton totes? Ton totes, yeah. yeah. Uh, we took our seed, we took our gin trash, put in there, and sold it to the farmer for him to, you know, feed. Nice. Uh, it was a lot cleaner, neater way yeah. to do it. And then, of course, then, you know, after coming to Cloverleaf, they put in the pellet mill, and, you know, we're partners in that, and yeah. that takes care of all the gin trash and Way to think outside the box. Uh, not not wa- not wasting any of our. Yeah. So that was products. kind of an idea that you spearheaded. No, well, they they had been talking had about they? that. Okay. Yeah, they had been talking about that yeah. for several years. Yeah. Gotcha. 
just a different way to do it, to pelletize it instead of bagging it. Because transportation of the way I was doing it, it's fine to run local, but now you start trying to do as many tons of trash we have here. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's just not enough cows that close that could use it. So you need to be able to have the market to be able to get it on rail or wherever you may want to ship it out. That's right. So was there a field rep before you got the job or or no? No. No? Uh -uh. Okay. No. So what would you say is your main uh, responsibilities? Is just making sure their farmer has everything they knew that, that they need to, to operate efficiently? Yeah, a lot of times, you know, I'm sure a lot of people thought when I came here coming from another gen that I was going to pull all these customers from yeah. from this other gen down here. But right. that's just really not the way it works. We're all intermingled with a lot of different business ventures with people from other gens. And it's uh, it's really a good environment that you don't have. You know, some areas it is a lot more hostile. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this area, there's not. We Everybody's got their own customers. Everybody leaves them alone. Um so, you know, your thing is just to check with the customers, make sure they got everything they need to answer any questions they can, that they would have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not a consultant by any way, but if anybody, and I tell our, produ- my, you know, our producers when I go visit them, if there's anything that I can help you with, I want to be more than that guy than you, that you call when you got a module yeah. or you got a broken part. Right. Um, I may not know, but I will try to find you that answer. Mm-hmm. So. Well, you've got the experience, too. You farm for 20 years, so it's not like you've been around it for yeah. quite a while. Yeah. yeah. You're not just some kid off the street that has no <laughs> idea about cotton. So. Seen a lot of changes. Absolutely. Um, and uh, George, cotton is very, very cheap right now. Uh, not a lot of money. What do you think it's going to take to get the price of cotton back up? To well, say we, eighty cents, something that we could actually make some pretty good money with cotton. Well, obviously the 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 backlog of cotton that we've got. Of course, the pandemic obviously didn't help things, but even before that, we had a backlog of cotton. There's such a surplus that we've got stored up in all the warehouses, really all over the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, the, usually cheap cotton will take care of your carryover because you know when it gets cheap, it gets down there where people can afford to use, and they'll use more and more of it. But um, that right now, due to this thing that we're dealing with, is really not happening a whole lot. It's happening some. Uh, we were at a meeting the other day, and they're still projecting the, the carryover to even go higher, even with less production, even with less planted acres. Uh, not a whole lot, but the price has jumped a little bit in the last few days, but it, it's it's still not anywhere near where it needs to be. Yeah, We've got to get that, that carryover down. Uh, we all thought when uh, we got the trade deal, started with China that that was going to be the answer and actually prices went down. I don't know really what the answer for that was, but um, yeah, we just got to get the backlog of cotton. There's just too much cotton. There's just too much cotton. As as so many of these other crops, there's just too Mm -hmm. much of it. Yep. And I think more and more countries now are growing cotton, you know, like Australia. I had no idea Australia even grew cotton, Mm -hmm. you know, so who knows? Um, tell you what, why don't we go ahead and take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back on the Field Rose podcast. Is it okay? Uh, hi, guys. If you're looking for some great deals on some chemicals, dog food, uh, feed, seed, and everything that you need, then check out MacArthur Company located in Malone, Florida, right down there by the water tower. They've got batteries and so much more. Check them out. Stop the music. That's right. Don't forget about Jenny Lens, a one-of-a-kind women's boutique store inside of a feed store. I've never bet I bet you've never seen that before because you've never been to Jenny Lens before. If you want the latest fashions and trends, then come on down and we can get you settled. Jenny Lands. 
All right, and we're back with the Field Rose Podcast with George Gray of Cloverleaf. Uh, now, George, let's talk about module builders. Um, we have our own module builder, and Cloverleaf will actually pay you if you have your module builder. But do most farmers have their own builder, or they just use one that Cloverleaf provides? Uh, at Cloverleaf, is probably the majority probably use ours. We have a lot of people that own their own, but the majority of them would be they use ours. They just feel like it's cheaper to, a lot of people feel like it's cheaper to let us keep them up than them have to keep them up. Yeah. Um, so that's just a personal preference. Mm-hmm. But we uh, we probably have 40 module builders that uh, we let farmers use that we take out. And there's virtually no, there's no charge for that. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think we charge them. We don't charge them for that. The only difference is, like with y'all, y'all get a check, module builder use, because you did not use our module builder. So That's right. So I forget what the we, price is. It's per pound of cotton, I think. It's like right? $2 a bale. Okay, that's it. Yep, yep. Uh, do you have all Harrell packers? No, we've got uh, the majority of our builders are Harrell. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a local company here, you know, in the in the, in Georgia. Mm-hmm. And uh, the KBH is, our, is the other one. Yep. And uh, we have quite a few of those. Okay. Those are typically newer than the Harrells mm-hmm. just because. And, um, but we, got, we do have probably... 75%, uh, 60% Harold, 40% Harrell. KBH. You must keep the KBHs in Donsonville because I've never seen the KBHs. I've only seen the Harolds. Uh, well, we get, they go both places. Do I they? mean, they're, okay. um, we, well, we take both plate, both builders to all different. There's really no, um, you know, nice guy, nice, a good customer, bad customer, big customer, little customer. No, yeah. it just depends on, you know, typically your your farmers are really attached to their builder. Mm-hmm. You know, even though it's ours, they want to make sure they're adamant about, I want my number so-and-so back next year. They're used to it. Some of them will add uh, lights to it. They'll add uh, a little, not a cab, but a little station to where they can put a canopy up there to keep them out of the sun. Yeah. So they, we make sure they get their own builder back every year. Mm-hmm. Now there have been some that the the builders probably got in such bad shape. They wanted updates and they may have at that time may have gotten a KBH, yep. but there's a, the KBH sometimes will hold, well, usually will hold a little more cotton than the Harold's, but yeah. um, there's drawbacks to both. There's advantages and disadvantages to both. That's right. Have y'all ever had one? Um, I know we've built some pretty big modules before where you kind of, it's the you know, last field of the year or something. You think that like, ah, uh, I think I think I can fit it. But then about halfway, you're like, I don't know if I'm going to get all this cotton. Have you ever had this situation where a farmer calls and you're like, hey, we just got too much cotton. I cannot pull off of this module. Or you get to it in the trucks, can't get it. We, um, we have, yeah, we have some of that. And uh, they make them too tall. They will obviously pick the. Well, I don't oh, yeah. tell y'all pick, how to do I'll that. Y'all front, don't need any more tricks. <laughs> don't need any more tricks. Uh, but yeah, we do have some of that, and yeah. they'll make a mess. The trucks. I mean, the, the truck does not flex. So I mean, it it's it it, it, it is what it is. Oh yeah. Um, now there was one uh, one of the first few years I was at Donaldsonville, and we've always made fun of a long module. Mm-hmm. And what that means is when the driver was picking it up. He was running faster than the module was, and he stretches it and tears it all to pieces. I was turning into Florida gym one day, and actually I did. I looked at a module, and I thought, that module was in perfect shape. I thought, that module looks odd. Yeah. Somebody, I'd never seen this before in all my years of cotton farming. They had actually opened the back door of that builder, and they made a long module. 
They called the gin or talked to somebody and found out how long that truck was, and that's how long that module was. Really? Well, we really don't need to let that be yeah. the new habit. That sounds that like way most of the time won't work because it's so close to the back if it falls out in the road. Yeah. But I have seen that one time in my Man. many years. That was weird. I bet. Yeah, we've, we've had some, some struggles with our module builder. Dad got, uh, I think, 91. He, he bought one, and we still run it today. Uh, but, I mean, you name it has been repaired on this thing. We have ran over the hoses and snatched all the hoses off uh, over the years. Uh, the gate has been ripped off, tore off. It's been rebuilt, but still going strong with it. But, yeah, a module, is a, it can be something else for they sure. They can. And I think some of the newer ones have, like, a fully enclosed cab. Have you seen those? That's what we had in North Alabama. All the builders we had in North Alabama had really? cabs. Now, don't get confused of a cab being like a cab on your tractor. Mm-hmm. It is an enclosure. It has it does have a fan in it that will create a little air in there for you. There's no cooling. Oh. The first part of the harvest down here, you will burn up in that thing. Okay. Uh, the reason why we did it is because most time in North Alabama, obviously, it's usually where we're five hours north of here it's usually 10 degrees colder year round there versus here so you know those days that it's 35 here it's 25 there of course and we get into a a november harvest up there always and it's it's some very cold days so those that's the reason why the the latter part of the harvest in the cold days is the reason why we want to cab up there i got you get out of that cold cold weather yep all right, George, well, let's talk about um, once the farmer calls and he says, hey, George, I've got, you know, this many modules. You guys br- bring the big module trucks, pick them up, and they drop it off at the gin. What happens after that? Okay. Typically, once a farmer, di- different reasons create, make somebody call in those modules. But typically speaking, when you finish a particular farm, field, however you want to do that, uh, they'll call in that number of modules. We'll give them a number. Uh, to go on the side of that module. It's just a reference number, so we will know that farm number, that uh, module's number 1,200 goes with, and we'll take down all the information at the office. The only thing you'll write on there is 1200-1-2-3, mm-hmm. whatever, however many there is. And we'll get that. We'll document it in the computer. It will have the seed variety, the farmer's name, the seed variety, who picked it, uh, where it is, directions to it, all that kind of stuff. Uh, if we pick it up, we bring it to the gym, we weigh it when we come to the gym, we take it, we enter that weight, obviously with that same information, we take it to the yard, it's designated on where it is. And a lot of people have the misconception that we move that cotton around a lot. Once we pick it up in the field, once we bring it to the gym, the next time it's moved is to the gym to be gin. So there's not two or three different, it doesn't get moved. Yeah. It's not handled a lot. It's not handled a lot. And a lot of people have the, some farmers have the misconception that it gets moved around. I won't mind to stay still well yeah. they do yeah but uh once it gets there we get and once you get through with your farm once we get them all picked up all those modules that however many of that those 20 modules that you called in once they get there then that sheet will go to the gin they're they're picked up in the order in which they were called in mm-hmm. they're ginned in the order in which they were received uh it's kind of hard to argue the the you know the fair honest system there yeah um and people are real good about that everybody wants their cotton gin everybody needs their money mm-hmm. um you know so we do you know, the fairest way to do it is first come first serve oh yeah and uh so you know the sooner you can get your cotton picked the sooner you can get through the sooner we can get it picked up the sooner we can get it gin the sooner you can get your money so it, that's it's hard to beat that 
that system there. And that way, it's Definitely. hard to argue that from mm-hmm. the farmer's standpoint. So after um, it's on the yard, y'all go to oh. gin it, goes to the gin. Okay, all right. Once we yeah, so once we get them all, we take it to the gin, we gin it. The, as far as the ginning process as a module feeder, um, that's something that has come about in the last, in our world, probably the last 30 years. Uh, used to, it was suctions. It was like a big vacuum cleaner pipe that came down in there. It was all brought in on trailers. Mm-hmm. Um, one bale at a time, if we want to go back that far in the fifties, uh, one bale at a time, the farmer would stay with his trailer. It would have been hand-picked cotton in the fifties. Wow. Uh, he would stay with that trailer till he got it ginned. It would be trailers and trucks or tractors, however they pull that little one bale, um, all the way lined up to the road, they would stay till they got it gin. They'd go back to the farm and they start picking again. Um, then came the cotton picker. They started coming with five bale wagons, and most of the time they would have two wagons. They would have one. A family member would pull that trailer to the gin. He still stayed with his trailer while it was being gin, and whoever the picker operator was was picking cotton. Once it got dry enough, he'd start picking. And when we got that trailer ginned, he would carry it back to the farm. He would hook to the other trailer, and by that afternoon or that night, he'd be back with that cotton ginned again. And the gin would stay until they ginned all of those all those trailers. Every night when they went home, the yard was empty. Wow. Uh, in our little small town, there was two gins in town, and if we didn't gin it, they would. Okay. Uh, there was a lot of downtime throughout the day. You know, you got the morning rush, you got caught up about middle of the day, and then after that, the farmers started coming in with that second wagon that they would have picked. Yeah. You know that that you know that day, mm-hmm. and so you would gin on into the night until they got through ten, eleven, twelve, one, two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And then you had to go home, get your little rest, come back and go again. Uh, the module builder uh, took that out of the, you know, took that equation out. So w- when would you say the module builder came in? Was this in the 80s or the 90s? It, when did, well, when did it, that you know, probably in Texas, it probably came in in the 60s. Okay. But in our world, it came in in the um, in the late 80s. Okay. Uh, North Alabama area. Yeah. Um, mid to late 80s is when it really got big. It came in a little bit before that, but mm-hmm. uh, we were still doing trailers up through the well, some gins still do trailers. Some gins yeah. have totally eliminated trailers. Mm-hmm. Now I've diverted away from the process of the gin now. But back to the the, the module feeder, uh, it eliminated that suction. It's more of a constant flow. Um, it, it goes through the module feeder where there's dispersing head in there that tears that cotton apart. It it scatters it through. It goes through the pipe. It goes through the uh, the dryers. Yeah. We hit it with hot air, which is uh, in Florida is done by propane because we don't have natural gas at that facility. In Donaldsonville, we have natural gas, which is a cheaper way to dry it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hit it with hot air. We dry that cotton, get it down to about a 5% uh, moisture to make it gin. Mm-hmm. We want a little heat on it, no matter how dry it is, so we can separate the trash from the cotton, clean the fiber better. Yeah. Then it goes through there, and we try to get that trash out. Then it goes through the gin stand. And that's where it separates the seed from the cotton. The seed falls out. It goes to a hopper where we weigh the seed. Remember I talked about we weighed the module when it came in. That's right. We weighed the seed that comes out of the cotton where that record is kept. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the press turns, that seed weight, however much came out of that bale, is documented in the computer where we keep up how much seed came out of that bale. When the bale is made, we weigh that bale. And uh, so everything we do is weighed, so it's documented. If something looks right, well, I thought there would have been 18 bales in that module. Well, wait a minute. Now, that module only weighed 
18,000 pounds or whatever the math is. The other one was a lot bigger, you Mm -hmm. know, so there's a check and balance system there. Um, Then the cotton goes, we we do take, uh, we have lint cleaners where it throws off the bad, per se. The good goes to the press. That's what makes our garments that we use, towel sheets, clothes, whatever. Mm -hmm. The cotton is thrown off. It's called MOTE, M-O-T-E. That goes to uh, furniture stuffings, um, car seats. Okay. Uh, it can go. It can be cleaned and go into pharmaceutical Q-tips, uh, cotton balls. Never thought that about that. So, like the cotton in a like a, a pill the bottle. Pill bottle. Okay. That cotton is uh, or the cotton on the Q-tip. That's yeah. that's not your premium grade cotton. They oh, clean okay. that, and they will bleach it mm-hmm. and make it that pretty white. Yeah. And uh, use it in the pharmaceutical. During the uh, oil spill out in the Gulf several years ago, uh, I was involved in that, and the um, the cotton that they made those I think they called them berms. They look like big ropes mm-hmm. that they put around those oil spills. That was I had actually sold them that cotton at a previous place I worked before. Hmm. That was our cotton in those berms. And the day we had the day they tapped that well, we had a truck sitting at their dock. Hmm. And they canceled that load because they didn't need it. That business, they moved on to something else. Oh, wow. So we paid for freight up there and freight back, and we had to find somewhere else to sell that cotton. Oh, man. Bummer. It was bringing a good premium price, and it was really good. But yeah. that was it was over when they capped that well. I bet. Man, that's weird. <clears throat> and the, uh, <clears throat> the cotton, we talked about the cotton. I talked mm-hmm. about the second grade of cotton that we used, the seed. The seed... Uh, Used to, it was typically sent to an oil mill where they'll they'll take it and they'll run it through a, a, a de-linter, takes that little bit of lint that's left on there. Mm-hmm. That goes into uh, insulation. The seed is then crushed where they get the oil out of it. That goes into food. What's left over is the hull and the meat of the seed. That goes into cow feed. So there's nothing wasted there. Either. Don't waste. Even, like that's you right. said, even the gin trash. Even the trash that comes wasted. out of it, the machines, we take it and take it back and make cow feed out of that. So yeah. we, we don't waste anything of that. And it's pretty neat for the people that don't know. Um, when he says a bale, it really is, at the end of the day, you have a square bale of cotton that weighs, what, 480 or is it 500? Uh, they, you know, that number's kind of changed. Used to, yeah. we said a bale weighed 500 pounds. Right. And uh, it is a rectangle now. now it, uh, a rectangle. Okay, rectangle. sorry. That's yeah. right. Let's get our. Uh, let's let's be correct. That's here. right. Uh, uh, <laughs> Don't know what I'm talking geometry, about. Geometry, geometry, right? <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's uh, you know, used to is 500 pounds. Like mm-hmm. I said 480, 500 pounds. 500 sounds better. Yeah, that's right. Yep. So it's uh, I mean, the cotton industry has came a long way. I mean, like you said, you went from picking it by hand to now you have a one picker that does it all and spits out a big round bell in the back. That's right. And do you does John Deere make a, a basket picker anymore, or no? No. As far as I know, they, they made the roller picker and the basket picker. Mm-hmm. And then they, as far as I know, they have quit the basket picker yep. now. We've got a 99.96. Well, let's move along. Um, what would you say is the, the uh, most expensive piece of equipment uh, at a cotton gin? It would be the press. The press. That actually um, the the actual that compresses the bale down, takes the cotton and presses it into a bale. Uh, I hadn't priced one in quite a while, but I would say... A million, million and a half. Yeah. Oh, wow. At least. Uh, there was a, I know of a new gin that was built, uh, lock and key, whole brand new facility. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably gins 50 bales an hour that was built a year or two ago, probably somewhere in the $7 million range Ooh. for a complete new facility. Wow. Big, big money. Yep. 
All right, well, let's move on to the next segment I call the three first and the three worst. Three first, three worst. Three, two, one, kick it. Uh, so you touched on it earlier, um, but just kind of tell us some more about it. What was the first tractor you ever bought? Bought a John Deere 4440, um, open station tractor, 1979. I was uh, 15. Okay. Excuse me, I was 16. And um, bought it at the local dealership in Athens, Alabama. It was open station. The reason why I bought the open station, because of the cabs on the 44, on the 30 series tractors, the air conditioners were weak. Mm -hmm. And I did not want that problem. And now uh, if I'd have done my research a little bit better, I found out that's one of the things they improved. And I probably would have kept that tractor all throughout the years, but yeah, traded in for a cab tractor years later. And you mentioned you sold it, but now you recently just I got sold it. Back. it. I sold it uh, and traded in in '92, mm-hmm. and bought it back in 2020. All right. Uh, what was the first concert you ever went to? The first, actually, the first concert I went to was a uh, Hank Williams. Nice, a Hank Williams Junior concert, and uh, uh, I guess I hate to admit it, but I was uh, I spent my time in the bar. Okay. Um, really wasn't a huge Hank Williams. I went with some friends, really wasn't a huge Hank Williams fan. Yeah. Uh, my second concert, uh, and I'm glad you're sitting down, was actually uh, the Gap Band, Midnight Star, and Zap. Never heard of them. They are um, hip-hop music from the 80s. Okay. Well, what was the name of it again? Uh, the Gap Band. The Gap Band. Okay. Gap Band. Uh, Party Train. Uh, you can Google that. It's, it's definitely not the kind of music you think I'd listen to. It was really, it was not your good old country boy music. So is it like like um, Run DMC, like that brand that, of yeah. hip hop? Uh, okay. sim- similar to that. Yeah. Okay, well, mm-hmm. nice. Did yeah. you get up and like rap on the stage or anything? I didn't. Cool? I, I never have been able to dance, but no, I did. No. I just enjoyed the beat to the music. There you go. Do you want to try to freestyle rap real quick? Or, no, no? I, I think I'll pass. <laughs> All right. Um, what, was your, uh, what was your first year like working for Cloverleaf? Any, any memories from, from starting? Just, uh, I guess the main thing was just trying to figure out where everybody was. And yeah. the first, I started in uh, February. And uh, actually, my first day there was the uh, annual producers meeting, okay. uh, grower appreciation meeting. And of course, you know, I didn't say much then. I was a new to everybody. But yeah. the next year, I told them that that was the uh, celebration for the anniversary of me being at Cloverleaf Gin. It's no longer the <laughs> the, right. uh, the grow yeah. up. Produ- it's the George Gray appreciation. The George Gray Day. appreciation anniversary. Lunch. Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. Yep. Well, you should be in first in line then, like we st- talked about earlier. No, I, 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 I'd first. like to stay there and work yeah. a lot longer. So <laughs> I, you know, that probably, you know, that customer service thing. You have to yeah. let the customers be first. You know, instead right. of they probably wouldn't want me to be first. Well, that's right. It's it's funny. Anytime you go to a meeting like that, you know, ever no one wants to be. The, in the front of the line, right? You don't want to be that guy to jump up first and be That's the front right. line. But there's always got to be that guy. But my uh, my Papa Jimmy, um, he had no. I mean, any dinner, he bam front of the line. You know, no, he was no that hesitation. Man. He, he was, was that man. guy. Which is, <laughs> I mean, I wish I was more like that. You know, who mm-hmm. cares what people think? If you're hungry, get at the front line and fix your plate. Right. That's right. All right. Um, now, so that's three first. Let's go to the three uh, worst. What's the worst thing about being a field rep? I guess, I don't, I mean, I love what I do. This is why I've been involved in ag all my life. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the seven days a week, I guess to most people, they can't believe that you, you know, that there is a seven, during the fall, there is a seven day a week, um, you know, however long the hours may be, you know, 12 to 15 hours or mm-hmm. more a day. Yeah. Um, but I guess that would have to be, you know, as far as people that are outside the industry think that by 
us having a hundred and something customers that I have a hundred and something griping people that I have to deal with every day. Yeah. I said, it's just not that way. I guess we do that great a job yeah. that oh, we yeah. don't have that, but it's all, uh, you know, the, the complaints are just very minimal Yeah, and it's usually not directed directly at us. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's the weather related cause we can't pick up their cotton or whatever the situation, the prices. I mean, we, we don't have any, you know, we don't control that. That's right. As far as the price of you selling your cotton. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's really not as uh, it's not as stressful and bad of a job as you would think having to deal with. I'm sure there's some industries if you had 100 customers, you would not last long at that job. Oh, yeah. But uh, it's just a totally different world Mm -hmm. here of not having those those complaints, you know. Yeah. Well, I know with my experience with you, I'm always happy to call you because I know we're going to get something fixed, hopefully. Because usually when I'm calling you, it's all, George, I need this part. You know, hey, Mm -hmm. let me check it real quick. And you call me back. Hey, we got it. You know, Mm -hmm. if you can't bring it to me, we'll just run down there and grab it. So... All right, let's see. Uh, what's the worst food to eat? So if you had one food, what's your worst food? That I don't like? That you do not like? Beets. Beets. Do not do beets. Shroot beets? Have you ever had a shroot beet? No. Are you not a fan of The Office, the TV show The Office? No, never no. have seen that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's a guy that has a, a beet farm. Huh. I don't like beets either. My wife eats them all the time. But. Yeah, people that like them love them, but I, yeah. I, I decided uh, within the last few months that everybody likes them. Maybe my mm. taste has changed, so I got one. No, I'm still going against the beets. beets. It was awful. Yeah. Dirt. Yeah. Dirt taste is not something I like. Now, no. food in general I like. Uh, you can look at me and tell I love to eat. Yeah, and it's funny. You know, they say your your taste buds change like every seven years, which I believe it because I used to never eat like collard greens or mustards. Now I love them. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? Mustard, like on a sandwich, used to hate mustard. Now I love mustard. I don't know if you're the same way. But. No, I just, uh, that's the reason why I tried the beets. I thought maybe my taste had changed, but it's it hadn't. I just, yeah. I've always liked pretty much everything to eat. Just no beets. No beets. Okay. All right. And the last one I was going to ask you, what's your worst farm-related injury? But you said really, really nothing there coming to I've mind. Really, I've been lucky with the... Um, you know, with, with my farm related industries, yep. you know, other than walking around, we used to, all of our trailers, you know, all of our cotton used to be hauled in on trailers and they were hooked mm-hmm. to a truck and you in a big hurry and harvest and you walk between the truck and the trailer and that tongue is hooked to that hitch of that trailer, yep. that truck, that right there, when it tears all the skin off of your shins, that's probably about as bad as it's gotten, you know, yep. you fall on your face in the dirt, you know, but no, right. I've been lucky. No, no, yeah, no broken bones, no broken like bones, that. no cut off fingers, even around the cotton gin. You know, that used to the joke was how many people in this gin, when we do a safety meeting, how many people, how many gin employees can count to 10? Let's see all 10 fingers. Yeah. And years ago, you would be surprised the number of people that couldn't count to 10. They'd lost part of, or maybe all their finger or part of their hand or whatever. What would they loot? Like just the machine? The, the machine, like the, the gin or, stand, yeah. the gin stand or the lint cleaners are your typical, used to it was the gin stand. Gin mm-hmm. stand lint cleaners are your typical, that's your highest industry, injury places in the gin. Okay. But uh, we, you know, and we being the industry has gotten so much safer than it was. So much more guards. And yeah. years ago, there was no guard. You could just walk into the side of the machine and there was pulleys and belts and stuff mm. uh, just right there exposed. You yeah. can't, I mean, that has come a long way. Yeah, well, that's good changes. Yeah. Um, George, I was going to mention this earlier, but I forgot it. Um, now, I brought, this is your handwriting you wrote last year for me. Uh-oh. And this is just a printout of our, um, when mm. our modules and all that got uh, graded and all that. And uh, I was going to get you to explain this. So when we, uh, you know, each bell is listed on this. Oh, what did my computer do? Make sure we're still recording. Yep, we're good. Um, but the GR is for color. That's right. Right? And 
if let's say if cotton is uh, seventy cent, you can get more than seventy cent if your grades are better. That's correct. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I guess the base for color you've got written here is 41. Is that uh-huh. correct? That's right. So as long as you are 41 or below, or is yeah. it higher? Well, and that's a little, we, we, I think probably on my notes, I'll say 41 or lower. Mm-hmm. But like, obviously, um, 32 or 33 is lower than 41. That second number is really more critical. You want that second number to be a 1. Okay. And your first number would be 41, 31, 21, 11. Uh, that w- that's when it gets better and better. Now, you know, uh, um, and I'm not looking at a loan chart now, but there is a government loan chart that you can follow. Mm-hmm. Each bail, you can look at your grades there and follow the loan chart and see exactly what that bail yep. should uh, be bringing. But now some marketing co-ops or, or groups don't re- exactly follow that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, they have their own method of coming up with that, but there are some that you can actually follow each bail to see exactly what you'll know exactly if you want to take got. the time what exactly what each bail each will bring bail. at the end of the yeah. day. Yeah, if you got notated here, the loan price was fifty two cent. Yeah, um, and also the uh, the strength of the cotton or the staple, I guess, is important as well. And those numbers are um, it's like at thirty seven, thirty six, thirty six, thirty seven. That sound right? No. Here, no. glance at yeah, it. Yeah, let me, yeah, let me, look let me have some cheat sheets. There here. you go. <laughs> yeah, now, st- staple is your length. That's not strength. That's staple. Okay. The staple is the length of your fiber. Right. So 34 is base. So 41, 3. 3 is your leaf leaf content, how much leaf you got in your plant and mm-hmm. your fiber, right. your bale. Um, so 41, 4. 34 is base. So anything, you, you want your 41, as we just said, you want that to be 41, 31, 21. That's right. Um, your leaf, you want it 3, 4. Now, you that is, a, you can get a little bit misleading there. If you talk about, I want mine to be, if 4 is base, I want mine to be a 2. Well, you will get a little bit of premium, but to get you to a 1 or 2, you gave up a good bit of cotton. I got you, you lose. The more you run it through cleaners, the more cotton you lose. Yep. So you're really better off with about a three or four mm-hmm. leaf. Uh, your staple, your length, 34 is base. And that's something that has really changed. Used to, some of your cotton was 34. Now 34 is actually low. I mean, we're looking at this right here with 37, 38, sometimes 39s and 40s. Mm-hmm. That are That's dealing the sixteenths of inches is yeah. what that is. Um, but, yeah, that is uh, that is a very important thing. And your mic is the breaking point of your fiber. Yep. And uh, three five to four nine is what you what you wanted. Anything over that is called high mic, and that's usually um, that's caused by that's weather related. And we used to always say that was drought, but we found out in the um, in O two, and again a few years later that a real wet year, which would be the hurricane. Yep. Uh, we found so much wet cotton, and it was it was having high mite cotton. So that kind of threw us a curve. Why are we having high mite cotton? And you thought so it, was it would be okay. any stress to that plant is what it comes back to be. Right. That's my unprofessional there you answer go. to that. Now, would you say out of all the, I mean, you said you got over 100 customers, would the uh, MacArthur's have the best grading quality cotton that Cloverleaf buys? They have awfully good cotton. Yeah. Yeah, they do. They rank up there at some of the best. But, George, would you say I've they got, have the best? I've got 99 other people that's going to be mad at me if I say <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, off the air, you can tell me yes, right? Yes. He yeah. He's moving his head up and down right now. I'm just kidding. He's not. He's not. <laughs> All right. And we, uh, we're we going to wrap this thing up pretty quick. But um, we mentioned Hurricane Michael. Obviously, the grades plummeted, although we picked our cotton. 
the grades weren't the greatest. So let me hear your Hurricane Michael story because everybody's got a good one. Yeah, well, it's just, you know, the thing that we, we didn't know if there was going to be anything to harvest, you know, after the, the a few days after or during the hurricane or the next day after. Um, we actually, um, Jen, somewhere in the 30-something thousand bale range that year, which is way down from where we normally are, but yes. – Way more than we thought, you know, we, the number of, of nothing was thrown out there. Mm-hmm. So we were way, we were a good bit more than Pleased nothing. That, yeah. But, um, the thing about, um, a, a, the hurricane or a bad year like that, or a wet year like that, not only is it bad at your pricing and it's awful, our expenses go way up on a per bale basis. We're trying to gin it. We're trying to get it hot enough. We're trying to get it dry enough. Yeah. We're trying to gin it. We tore up. It was rougher on the machinery in the gin. Uh, the expenses of the gas to try to dry it. That's also will carry over. You can dry the cotton. You mm-hmm. can't dry the seed. And what that's going to do is there's going to be places in that cotton that you just can't get dry. Yeah. And you can go out in the fall, I mean, in the, in the, uh, after the fall and look into the warehouse and you start seeing that cotton, it starts looking almost like a Dalmatian. You start seeing black spots. Uh-oh. That's mold. Yeah. Uh, so it's, you know, it's something, and if you go on and ship that, we, you know, we, if we got some that's that bad, we usually set it to the side and mm-hmm. just short ship that bale and we'll buy that cotton back. Um, if you send it on to the end user, if that was in North Carolina, it wouldn't be that bad and they reject it, you go get it. Now it's, it's just kind of hard to go to Singapore and come back or wherever yeah. in foreign countries and right. come back with getting a bale of cotton. Oh yeah. Uh, but you will in the end, if it's not what it's supposed to be, you will buy that. You being the gin we'll buy that cotton mm-hmm. back. Did y'all find, I'm sure you did, um, like a, I'm, a sticks glass in the cotton that was actually ginned from Hurricane Michael? Because we had, I mean, we stopped up so much that year picking, because you'd be picking and there'll be massive sticks out there. Oh, yeah, was we had, uh, yeah, we get, you'd be surprised the things that we do find. I mean, you know, there's all kind of, you know, of course, the number one contaminant now is they're saying is the yellow plastic being the, the mm-hmm. wrap. Yeah. Um, years ago, it was uh, plastic bags, and it was not only plastic bags, it was Walmart bags. I thought that was kind of odd that they had it down to the science of Walmart. And I don't mean to pick on Walmart, <laughs> but I guess that means there's a lot of business. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, the, the plastic, it is right. a lot of contaminants. The black plastic of the vegetables, you know, that you have to get up before you plant. You do need to take the time to get that up so it doesn't come in the harvest. That's right. Yeah, it definitely hits you guys a lot harder than the peanut industry because, you know, we were just about done with peanuts. You know, when Hurricane Michael hit, we were just getting kicked off with cotton, you know, um, in the thick of it. Then it hit. So. Yeah, we were we were just getting ready. We in, in our Florida gin, we only gin 250-something bales, less than 300 bales, one yep. good day of just getting started. Mm-hmm. And then the hurricane came through, and we did not open that gin yeah. again that year. That's right. Yep. And that was uh, probably some of our bales because we – yeah, some of the earliest cotton. Yeah, yeah I don't uh-huh. remember whose it was, but yeah. yeah, y'all are always early. Yep. Not a good year at all, that's for sure. It wasn't. Well, hopefully this year will be better. We hope so. All right, George, well, you want to um, plug Cloverleaf Gin if anybody's interested in selling any cotton to Cloverleaf? We're there to help anybody that needs any help. Uh, you know, we don't go out and beg people for their business, uh, or the, the, not, the people that are not our customers now, but if we're there to serve anybody that we could do to help them, we would love to help them. Oh, yeah. Sounds good. All right. Well, I guess we're going to wrap it up. Appreciate it, George. Thank you. We'll see you. Bye.
All right, and welcome to the bonus, bonus section of the Field Rose Podcast. I'm here with a very, very special guest, and I'm here with my second daughter, Cassidy. Cassidy, how's it going, babe? Good. It's going good? What you been up to today? School? Uh, yeah. So this is your first year in kindergarten, huh? So you are five years old. Yes. What's your favorite color? Uh, I just say blue and purple. Blue and purple. Okay, well, Ellie Rose, the baby, is now in your lap. How do you yes. feel about that? Uh, kind of strange. Kind of strange? That she just, just plops in your lap like that? Yeah. Cassidy, um, what color is Daddy's tractors that I drive? They're definitely green. Definitely green. All right. Do you know what the name of it is? John. Tractor. John Tractor. That's a good guess. John Deere. Oh. Can you tell me what kind of crops that I grow? But why is it John Deere if it's a tractor? You know, that's a good that's a good question. I don't know. I think the guy's last name was Deere and his first name was John. But whose name was Deere and... A deer is an animal. A deer is an animal. That's right. All right, Cassidy, well, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the bonus episode, huh? Yeah. Oh, baby's back in your lap. All right, yep. see you guys. Tell them bye. Bye. See ya. Bye.